The last uh, two weeks, we got into uh, our, our story, really God's story. Again, we're, we're walking through the entire year watching how God weaves this story together, how the Bible is one cohesive unit uh, that is overlaid by his sovereignty and grace and love, and, and how in all of this, we see Jesus Christ in this whole process. And so the last two weeks, we, we've started the introduction, right? That's where we're at. We're still in the introduction of God's word. We saw God create the world. We saw God create man and woman and how they were to live in relationship together. And we saw it last week, right, that God perfectly designed everything the way that it was meant to be, including the relationship between man and woman and our relationship with God. And as I think about this, I, I picture this like a movie, right? Again, it's a story, right? I, I picture it like a movie. So, so God creates, and, and then what do we have, right? We have this, this wonderful kingdom, and I, I, I can just see the lush green grass and the flowers and, and the waterfall cascading over, and the, the people are hustling and bustling all around, and the, the animals are chirping, and there's peace, and there's comfort, and there's prosperity in this kingdom, Right? We've seen a lot of movies right, kind of have that introduction. And then what starts to happen? We, we have the, the ominous storm clouds start to roll in over the kingdom. We, we begin to see the plot of the movie. The antagonist emerges in the story. Right? Who's, who's going to be the problem that we're going to watch that has to get rectified in this, in this story. Uh, and, and so now as God creates, it's this wonderful paradise, and now the storm clouds are coming in, and we see in the shadows the evil is lurking, and he, he's ready to create chaos. He's ready to destroy what God has created and plunge the world into darkness. And so then it starts to happen, right? The narrator's voice goes on and he starts to tell about how the fall happens. And as, as the narrator is speaking, the kingdom, it, it, it starts to just burn, right? And it's on fire and, and the evil comes rushing in and it's just chaos. And the people are screaming and they're fleeing for safety. And then what happens? That as all of this goes on, what does the camera do? It then pans over to the hero. And it sets up for us the, the one that is going to save the fallen kingdom. It, it lays out for us that over the rest of the story, the battle that's going to be raged between good and evil, and like every good story, it has a happy ending. And if you and I think about this for a moment, that's where Genesis 3 is. Genesis 3 is, is that pivotal moment of the story where God lays out and said, here's what perfection looks like, but now here's the problem, and I'm going to introduce you to the character of evil that's going to exist. I'm going to, to introduce you to the storyline that's now going to continue forward. And this is a story that has continued to go on from that moment in Genesis 3. And think about that for a moment, too. That this story that is playing out is still playing out. It hasn't come to its final conclusion yet. 
And because this story is playing out, you and I are characters in God's story. And, and you're like, wait, I never see my name in the Bible. No, we're in there. See, see, it's the Old Testament has happened, and then the gospel happened, and then the book of Acts happened, and, and the church began to spread. And all of those letters that were written, all of those church letters and epistles, those are the ones that you and I keep reading again and again and again. It's the story of Galatians that says you can't mix your faith and works for salvation. It's, it's the story of 1 Peter that says you're going to suffer and we have to learn through our suffering and rely on God. It's, it's the story of 1 and 2 and Timothy and Titus that says you need to pass off the legacy of faith to someone else. It's the story of Jude that's constantly telling us, be aware of the false prophets. Watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing because they are seeking to destroy you. And so you and I are continuing to live this out every single day. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the book of Revelation to start. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because where are we at right now? We're all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, still trying to figure out the introduction of the movie, right? So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We must not eat fruit from the trees, in the, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay, so the serpent. What do we know, right? We, we know that he's crafty. We, we know that he's, he's clever and shrewd, and, and he uses that craftiness to attack the characters of God. And he poses a question to the woman to try to get her to, to overthink, to overanalyze, to, to question what she had already been told not to do. And then in a dramatic fashion, what happens? She listens to the serpent, and we have the slow motion shot where she takes the apple and she bites into it and then gives it to her husband and he eats. And then the skies and the lightning crash down and now guilt is laid upon the shoulders of man. And, and Satan again means he's an adversary. He, he's an opponent to God. And in John 10.10, 10, he tells us he, he's a thief that comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And in John 8.44, he tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And the character of Satan is on full display here. Because he's not just an adversary to God. 
But he's also an adversary to create opposition between man and God, between man and woman and every other human being that exists in this world. And through his deception, Satan looks to still steal, kill and destroy. And what does he do? He directly challenges and twists and perverts the word of God. He, he says to Eve, he said, did God really say, come on, Eve, is that, is that really what God meant when he said that? Eve, are you, are you really going to die? I mean, is that, is that actually what God wants to do to you? Is that, is that I mean, you're going to eat this, you're just, you're just going to fall over? Is that, is that what's going to happen, Eve? Come on. And what does he do? He has her question the goodness of God and the badness of sin. Can God really be that good? He's got to be hiding something from you. There's a reason why he doesn't want you to know what he does. There's a reason why he's holding out on you, Eve, because God's not really that good. And come on, I'm going to be honest with you. The sin, you disobeying, it's really not going to be that bad. I'm telling you right now, you're not going to fall over dead. It's going to be okay, Eve. It'll be perfectly fine in all of this. And so again, she buys into the lie. Adam and Eve eat. And now we have a world that is plunged into darkness and sin. And so now we continue in verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. So the moment they realized, the moment they ate, they knew they were naked. And they had no clothes on and they made coverings. And then they hear the sound of God and they go, oh my gosh, God is coming. And they take off and they hide. And I have to imagine this was probably the worst game of hide and seek in the world. I have to imagine what it was like for, for Adam and Eve. I mean, we've all played hide and seek before, right? You know what that's like. You're, you're hiding behind something. You're hiding in a closet. You're hiding under the blanket. And you're breathing heavy, like, <sighs> right? Because the adrenaline's going and you don't want to get caught. But for Adam and Eve, it, it wasn't just the fact that they were going to be found. There was now punishment that was going to come. And it's not just a fear that exists that they were going to be found. But that fear is now coupled with, with shame and embarrassment and guilt. That I could imagine that their hearts were racing, ready to burst out of their chest. Just agonizing over that moment that God finds them. And so God throws out a very simple and a non-threatening question, but it's a very powerful one. Where are you? 
Now, of course, God knows where they are because God is all-knowing. But this really is a, is a question for them. It's a question to have Adam and Eve come back to the table. It's an opportunity for, for Adam and Eve to come clean about what they've done. It's a chance for ownership and responsibility. And this question that comes from God is really a question that's going to remind us about his character. And so they reveal themselves and they say, we're here and we were afraid because we were naked and we were embarrassed and ashamed. And God says, well, what happened? And they go, well, I, the woman gave me the apple, the one that you told us not to eat, and I ate. And God's like, Eve, what happened? And Eve's like, well, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate, God. And so they come clean with their confessions and now it's time for punishment. So now we continue in verse 14. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly all the days of your life and you will eat dust. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearings. And with pain you will give birth to the children. And your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil you will eat all of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said that man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So he says to the serpent, here's the deal. You're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat the dust. And you will exist that as an enemy between man and all of his children in the generations to come. And one day you will strike his heel, but there will come a time where that offspring will crush your head. And he turns to Eve and he says, you're going to have painful childbirth. And a battle is going to ensue of authority between you and your husband. That's going to create hostility and division. And to Adam, he says, because you listened, you are now going to toil the soil of this ground. Through thorns and thistles, you will experience a painful existence. And if you want to survive, you are going to have to scratch and crawl and, and, and dig in for every piece of it. And then you're both going to return to the ground because that's where you came from. You're going to die. You're going to deteriorate. And I'm going to cast you out of my paradise. I'm going to cast you out of the garden and out of my presence because of what you've done. And I just think, man, it feels like God laid down some serious consequences here. 
One simple act of disobedience. And this is how God responds. But to just see the gravity of all of this, I want us to think back again to chapters 1 and 2. Because remember, chapters 1 and 2 set up the relationships for how they were supposed to exist. Right? That we were designed perfectly to live in a perfect universe, in a relationship with God. And there was to be harmony between that. And the consequences that God lays out destroys those relationships. Right? Again, the, the paradise was before us. Everything that was created was intricately designed to work for our blessing. And we've ruined it. So he says to the woman, you know, you have one of the greatest joys. You have the capacity to hold life inside of you. That out of you is going to come children. And inside for nine months, a child is going to form. And you're going you're gonna to carry that child and one day you will give life to that child. And you will stream tears of joy and it will be a blessing. But that joy is going to be different now. Because see, now what's going to happen, for nine months you're going to be challenged. You're going to have back pain. And you're going to have swelled feet. And you're going to be exhausted. And you're going to be tired. And I'm going to give you some pretty crazy hunger cravings. And when it's time to give life to that child, you will experience one of the greatest pains ever in this world. And those tears of joy, oh, they're going to be tears of agony as you scream and cry out in pain. And so before you get that little bundle, it's going to be miserable. And that relationship with your husband, oh, that's not going to be easy either. Because he's supposed to love and care for you and you're supposed to to be that support to him. But now it's going to be a struggle. Now you guys are going to fight and you're going to argue. And instead of him having that woman's touch, now you're going to be battling each other. Matter of fact, I'm going to make it so bad between you. You know what's going to happen? You're going to fight and argue over something stupid like who should do the dishes tonight. And for man, oh boy. That ground that you walk on, oh, I'm going to curse that ground. Right? You, you were supposed to, to rule over creation. It, it was supposed to be a joy for you work. But now you're going to hate work. And if you want to survive, you're going to sweat by your brow, and you're going to have to fight through the thorns and thistles. Because, see, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make your grass grow, and it's going to grow really, really high. And you're going to have to cut it. And then after you cut it, I'm just going to make it grow back. And then when you're done cutting the grass, I'm going to make all the leaves off the tree fall. And you're going to have to rake them again and again and again. And then when you're done raking, I'm going to pile up feet of snow in front of your driveway. And you're going to get out there and you're going to shovel it. And then after you're done shoveling, I'm going to make it snow again. And then when you think it's all said and done, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to flood your basement. And you're going to work and work and work. 
and you're never going to feel like you get ahead, and then you're going to die. And all of that happiness of ruling over creation, now you're subjected to it. You were supposed to love it, but at the end of the day, you're not going to have anything to show for it, because you know what? When you die, you're not going to be able to take anything with you. Oh, that's right. And then when you go home, just remember you have your wife to deal with. Right? Remember you came home and you thought you were coming back to your loving house. You're probably going to think I'd rather be back at work. And that relationship with God. God said, remember we used to walk together? Can't do that anymore. See, I am holy and I can't be in your presence. You are a sinful individual. This paradise that I created for you and I to live in together can't happen. So you're out of here. There's the door. Don't look back. Matter of fact, I'm going to put a guard there with a flaming sword because I don't even want you thinking about trying to get back into here. Because if you do, he will slice you down. And even creation itself. Again, man's going to toil over that. But what happened to the garden? What happened to our paradise? I mean, we, we can speculate here for a moment, but I, I think the effects of the curse probably took over, and then it just deteriorated into the rest of creation. Or the fact that when God decided to destroy mankind and the flood came, God just took that garden and he said, nobody gets to enjoy this anymore, and he got rid of it. So as a result of the fall... Every relationship is now in peril and destroyed. And instead of drawing near, we find ourselves drifting apart, running from each other, and fighting each other. And the world is broken and fallen, and sin covers over it. You know, I love the statement that Adam makes to God, because I think this kind of captures the feeling of what's going on. When he says, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit, and I ate it. God, it's your fault that this is going on. And it's Eve's fault that's going on. And then Eve says it's the serpent's fault. That's our relationships. It's always someone else. We're never the problem. And so Genesis 3, the fog lingers over, and it now lingers over our hearts. But remember what I said. This is a story that God writes for us. It's a story that you and I are living. And it's the greatest story that's ever been told. And just as the introduction concludes in a movie, what did we say? The camera pans to who? It pans to the hero. And Genesis 3 does the same exact thing for us. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, this is the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered upon the surface of this earth. It was a memorable discourse indeed with Jehovah himself for the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness for the audience. It must be worthy of our heartiest attention. Wow. Did you hear what he said? Genesis 3 is the first gospel message. And you might be thinking to yourself, Adam, I did not see the gospel in here at all. What are you talking about? Well, you, you probably not were reading the same one that I was reading because the gospel is all throughout chapter 3. 
So, so let, me, let me help you understand this. See, God gave a command and said, don't eat. And they ate. What do we call that? We call it sin. They disobeyed. They missed the mark. And God said, what does it do? Sin separates you and I, and it brings shame and guilt, and it brings death. And what do we try to do with our sin? Just like everybody else, just like Adam and Eve, we try to hide it, and we try to cover it up because we don't want our sins exposed. And we blame everyone else. And we don't a bunch of fig leaves around us because we're embarrassed. But then God emerges and says, where are you? And see, I said earlier that this, this question is about God's character. Because see, this is not a question about God's rage. This is a, this is a question that involves God's love. Because it's a question where God is seeking to find the lost. And he hears their confession, and he says, well, now I have to punish because I'm a God of justice. That is my character. And sin needs to be dealt with. Because if I let sin just go free, that is actually unjust. And Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. And he tells them, this is what's going to happen, guys. You have to die for your sins. But let's not forget the second part of Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so in the same act of justice, he demonstrates his character. Because see, when God sends them out of the garden, we, we have to look at this and understand that by sending them out of the garden, this is an act of mercy. Because God said to Adam and Eve, look, if you eat from the tree of life, in your state of sinfulness, I can't let you live permanently in the existence of sin and broken relationships. So I'm actually going to protect you. I'm going to send you out of here so you can't make that mistake. Because that's not how I want you to live like this. I have something better for you. And he puts him out of the garden. And he says, now I'm going to find redemption. I'm going to make a way to make this relationship right. And he says, I'm going to give you a foreshadowing. Because that's what good books do, right? They set up early on what's actually going to happen later in this creative fashion. And he says, what did you do? You hid from me and you covered your shame with a bunch of fig leaves. And God said, look, you can't cover up your sin. You, you can't work for your own salvation. That's just not going to do. I got something better. I'm going to give you a garment that's going to cover over your sin. I, I got a garment for you that will cover over your shame and nakedness. And in Hebrews 9.22, it says, The law requires that everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So God says, I got something better. And he takes one of his animals, and he sacrifices that animal, and he sheds its blood. And he takes the skin of that animal, and he says, here you go, Adam. Here you go, Eve. Let me cover over your sin. 
because this is better than what you tried to do before because those fig leaves wouldn't do. And Isaiah 61.10 tells us, I greatly delight in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and has arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. But you know what? Just as those fig leaves were inadequate, so would that animal skin be inadequate. But again, right? It's a foreshadowing. God says, I'm just giving you a picture of what it's going to look like when a time comes. Because in Hebrews 10, it says the sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He says the life of this animal for the life of this man is not comparable. It's not equatable. What needs to happen is the life of a man for a life of a man. That's when true justice will be done. And so God demonstrates his sovereignty. And he tells the serpent, one day, one day, I will crush your head. You will eat the dust of the ground, which is symbolic of total defeat. But before that happens, you're going to strike the temporary heel. And we know that what did he tell us in Genesis 3? We know that the one to come is going to be the offspring of Eve. And that offspring is going to have to die for the sins of man in order to make justice. And so, just as Adam would have to sweat from his brow and go through the painful thorns and thistles to survive, our hero, our sacrifice, our salvation, would sweat drops of blood and would have a crown of thorns placed upon his head. And then he would have his heel struck. As he was nailed to the cross and gave up his life. But again, it's temporary. And so three days later, our hero will rise again, proving that the power of death and the serpent has no hold. Our hero will rise, and when he rises, he will crush the power of sin in our lives. And there will come a day when our hero will come back, and he will take the serpent, and he will cast him into the lake of fire, forever destroying him. And he will remake a new heaven and a new earth. And he will give us back the paradise that was lost, that we ruined, because of his goodness and his love for us. And so when we read Genesis 3, and we think about, again, this is the beginning of the story. The paradise that once was. And as the storm clouds are rolling in and covering over it. And the very same moment those storm clouds are rolling in, what do we have? We have a light that is shining forth from behind the cross, and it shines upon our hero, Jesus Christ. And so this is the first gospel message that is ever told, and it is told 
by God himself. That is why we call the gospel good news. And so here's what I love of this. The moment that you and I sinned, the moment that Adam and Eve sinned and threw this world into chaos and destruction, the very moment we did that, God stepped in with the gospel. And the relationships that you and I have ruined, God has restored. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful picture that you give us. Lord, we see in the beginning the destruction. We see in the beginning our disobedience, our faithlessness to you. But in the very beginning, Lord, thank goodness that you stepped in and you said, it'll be okay. I'm going to make this right, what you have ruined. And Lord, you brought for us a sacrifice out of your love, a sacrifice we don't deserve, a storybook ending that you and I don't deserve. But Lord, you blessed us through this. You've given us a Savior and a hero in Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I... I lift up because, Lord, this past week, this body has experienced a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. And some we have heard and some we have not. And, Lord, I want to lift up those individuals that are struggling. Because, Lord, through the pain, you are still with us. And you still care for us. Thank you for being the hero and the author of our story. Amen.